Welcome, everybody. It's time for another episode of Asher Sales Sense, brought to you by Asher Strategies, the only global sales training company that integrates leading sales methodologies and the latest neuroscience studies into a simple and repeatable 10-step process for sales success. I'm Susan Finch, your announcer for Asher Sales Sense. And I'm Dave Potts in the Asher Strategy Studio in Washington, D.C. Our host today is John Asher, CEO and founder of Asher Strategies. And John's guest is John Edwards, Executive Vice President at Communique, helping direct digital marketing and sales initiatives for both B2B and B2C clients. The title of the show is Employing Marketing Tools to Evaluate Competitors. Over to you, John Asher. Well, John Edwards, thanks so much for coming back for our second podcast. You're welcome. Excited to be here. Great. So just a quick review of what we talked about last time. All of us are after a competitive advantage or dominance of our competition. And therefore, the way the world is going, you know, there'll be less salespeople in the future. But digital marketing has, of course, increased in importance and is increasing. And our digital presence of course, then is the manifestation of what we're able to do in our digital marketing. And as we discussed last time, it consists of five pillars. A company's digital presence, not just the website, it is five pillars. First is our domain authority, and that is what does Google think about us? Second would be search, you know, what are we showing up for when customers are looking for things? And third is, are we relevant outside of our website? In other words, social media and social networks. And the fourth, of course, is the website. Once the prospect gets to our website, then are we relevant? Do we have what they need? And then once we engage with them on the website, then the fifth pillar of this dominance is how do we follow up? What, what tools are we using? So let's take each one of these pillars in turn and do a deeper dive than we had time last time to look at the tools we can use to see how we can gain this uh, overall competitive dominance. So let's just start with digital authority, John. Yeah, great. Digital authority is probably the single best metric out there in terms of kind of the sort of the aggregate impact of the things that you're doing online through the lens of Google. We know that buyers, 90% of them are now almost all the way through the vendor selection search process before the vendors even know that they're being looked at. And that's because people are going to the website and they're going to other places and they're getting answers to questions early, mid and late part of the buying journey. But we know it's critical that you need to be present early in order to be considered later. So a lot of hard work goes into search engine optimization and the performance of your website and your speed and who's pointing to you. Are you a trusted source for information on a particular topic that somebody has a pain point about? All of these things kind of roll together into an algorithm and that algorithm determines where you show up in search results. But as we'll explore with each of these areas, these five pillars, where you are Knowing that in a vacuum doesn't do you much good, it, what really helps is when you know where you are and where you know your competitors fall. Are they above you? 
Are they showing up higher in search rankings, for example? You know, are they performing better in social media, especially in the social media channels that matter like LinkedIn? So we need to have a way to understand, you know, okay, what's this digital authority scoring mechanism? Who's out there that could give us the answer to those questions? And there are two sources that we use at Communique that I would recommend people uh, consider. The first is uh, uh, MozPro, M-O-Z-P-R-O. But it Moz is a set of SEO tools, uh, and the second one is SEM Rush, uh, which is also a set of um, of tools. And one of the core things that both of them can do is give you a domain authority score for any website you visit. So obviously, we would recommend that you start by going to your own website. In in the case of MozPro, it actually can live within your browser. So it's just a little thing that you can turn on and off. And when you turn it on, you'll see the domain authority for your site and for your competitor sites. And then when you go into SEM Rush, if you plug in your website and your competitors' websites, you can get the a domain authority score from them. The scores typically run fairly close together. Domain authority, as people might recall from our earlier podcast, is it's scored on a logarithmic basis. Mm. It's from one to 100. And because Google is very secretive about its algorithm, it really takes companies like Moz and SEMrush to kind of really break it down, understand what is likely driving the, the algorithm today. And so you might get a score of say 29 on Moz and you might get a 31 on SEMrush or reversed. So what we typically do is we get both scores and then we average them. So when we report back a domain authority score, it's an average from those two trusted sources of information on where you fall. And those are tools I'm assuming you have to pay for, John, right? Yeah. So MozPro does have a paid version, although the domain authority score can be obtained at no charge. So the, like we use, for example, Chrome, the, the Chrome application, that's part of their free tool set. So you don't have to pay to get that number from Moz. SEM Rush is a paid platform. Then it's, it's affordable. They have different pricing tiers and that's, you know, how you would, be able to get access to the SEM Rush interpretation of the domain authority and a whole lot more. We'll talk about SEM Rush more here in a bit. So, just for the listeners who are lay people, in other words, they're not a digital marketing expert like you are, how would you equate to, in our personal lives, how would you equate those scores? The equivalent, I would, you know, if I'm looking for sort of parallels, I mean, you know, anytime you see a five star review out of five, I think that's kind of the way to think about it. That the, the higher the number, the more likely you are to show up above your competitors for the very same search phrase. But, you know, again, I said it's one to 100. You don't need to worry about being in the 90s because that's where Google lives. You don't need to worry about being in the 80s. Those are big software as a service platforms or media companies. Even the 70s is going to be, for most people, is going to be e-commerce platforms and things like that. But if you're a competitive B2B player, I think you want to try and be in the 40s and 50s. I think that's when you were really starting to distance yourself from most competitors in your space. And that's the way to sort of think about it. I think you had said one time, if I remember this right, maybe I'm, I don't, is that in our personal lives, it might be equivalent to our credit score. Yeah, no, that's, that's another, that, yes, we have talked about that. Yeah. And that's another a great way to sort of think about it, right? The, the higher your credit score, you can get more money less expensively. So it's kind of a win-win and reap the same benefits with a higher domain authority score. Exactly. And what's a good example of assessing your competition? I mean, number one, you have to figure out who the competitors are. So what's the best way to do that? 
That's a great question, John. And we actually use domain authority to help us identify who the, the competitors are and, and categorize them. Wow. We would get the domain authority for people that we would just name, we call them named competitors, but you know, we, all of us could probably write down six or seven or eight different companies that we might typically go up against. And what we might find, and I'll use the example of a, a, an industrial manufacturer, commodities manufacturer that we work with, you know, there are some global players. They're going to have domain scores that are going to be in the fifties and sixties. They're, they're international billion, multi-billion dollar companies. Then you're going to have what we'd call regional players, which maybe work in a sp specific geography, um, and they're going to be of a certain size, and they might typically run more in the 20s. And then you're going to be have some smaller outfits that you know are going to be whether they're you know startups or they're just not invested heavily in digital. You know they might be in the single digits or in the teens. And you you know what we find is that there are patterns, and you can use those patterns to identify who are you adjacent to. So in the case of this one company, they're kind of a mid-tier player. Putting a lot of money to go up against a global competitor would be very challenging and really, you know, out of scope, out of budget. Uh, it's okay to emulate those global players because you can steal great ideas from them. But what we determined was they were really right, they were neck and neck with about five or six other competitors. And just moving their domain authority by a few points started to separate them from really most of the rest of the pack. There's that old saying about if you and your friend are in the woods and that you're being chased by a bear, you don't have to outrun the bear, you just have to outrun your friend. Well, you know, it, it applies here as well, right? We don't have to outrun the global competitors. Let's start by outrunning the ones that are in our space. And then long-term, we can think about how do we move up, you know, towards them in terms of comparable performance and, and scores on a, on a larger scale. And probably be able to, uh, as appropriate, pick some niches that you do after when you're going after them. It can range by product line, right? So if you have certain product lines, you know, the competitors are going to vary. But, you know, how hard you have to compete against those competitors, domain authority is a nice little sneak peek into the level of effort that you might have to put in to, to start to distance yourself from, from those folks. John, excuse me. It's time for a quick commercial break. <music> Over 200 correlation studies show that natural aptitude is the most significant factor in predicting sales success. Asher's Advanced Personality Questionnaire, the APQ, consistently identifies peak performers in outside sales, inside sales, sales management, customer support, and 17 other business positions. Go to asherstrategies.com today or call 866-833-9941. That's Asher Strategies at 866 833-9941. We've been speaking with John Edwards about employing marketing tools to evaluate competitors. Now back to the discussion. Thank you for that digital authority discussion. That was great. Let's move on to the second pillar, search. Can, can we finish that one up too? Yeah, so two tools that I would mention here, this is where we want to kind of get a deeper understanding of what's going on specifically with search and how our numbers compare to our competitors' numbers. SEMrush, uh, the tool that I mentioned before, that's where this one really becomes very a useful tool, you know, in terms of having to subscribe to a platform and log in and because you're going to get access to a much richer data set. Uh, there are other tools that are out there. Moz actually offers similar capabilities as part of their paid program. There's also Raven Tools. So there are several companies 
that are out there that really do SEO, help you do SEO research. But essentially what you're doing is you're going into these tools, you're plugging in your domain, and then you're going to plug in the domain of your competitors. And we use these tools to evaluate several different things. First is going to be keyword traffic. How much traffic are they getting organically from search and how much traffic are they getting from paid search? How do their keywords rank, right? What are the top performing keywords on our site and on their site and what's the overlap? So are we competing for the same keywords? Are there different keywords? You know, with Google, you really want to be on page one of search results. So the ranking is very important. Uh, Google will give you 100 results for any search phrase. You got 10 pages of results and 10 results per page. So you really want a strategy to be on page one of search, those first 10 results for most of the, the the words that are strategic to your business. That's that's sort of the game plan that you really want to map out. So what's the content that you're going to need and all the other stuff that you need to do to get there? Because we know, as most people do, 95% of people don't go to page two of search results. They either click on something that they saw, or if they didn't like what they saw, they put in a different search phrase. So that kind of information, where you rank, where your competitors rank, overall traffic coming in from search, all of that is available. Now, you have access as a company to Google analytics. So you actually know your real data. These tools are basically using sampling, huge data sets, but it's sampling. So your numbers are not going to be exactly the same as the numbers that they see because they don't have access to your Google analytics, but they are very good from just sort of a general directional kind of thing, right? Level of magnitude. So that's where it's comparable. So plug in their number for you, plug in their number for your competitors, and at least you're getting an apples to apples, at least based on the tools and the capabilities and the data sets that they have. The other things that we look for, how many pages show up in search for the websites? Does somebody have a really big website and one of the other competitors has a very small website? How many people are pointing to their website? We call those backlinks and how many domains are pointing to them. So this gives you a sense of, you know, how much people value the content that's on that website. Google will use that in its algorithm. Again, I mentioned whether there's paid and display ads that are going on and what's their level of investment? How much are they spending per month? How does that compare to what you're spending if you're spending at all? And then finally, we the last thing we look at is how what percentage of the traffic to your site and to competitor sites is either branded or non-branded? A branded search term is a phrase that includes your brand name in it. And so it's a good measure of word of mouth, referrals, all the things that you've done in the online and offline world just to get people to know you with social media. You know, they, they come to understand your name. They just don't know your URL. So they're just typing you in that way. Uh, and somebody who has a very high percentage of branded traffic is somebody we call it late stage. So these buyers probably already know the pain point, probably already know the problem. They are aware of you and they're just coming directly to your site because you're known to them. Uh, non-branded is critical. You want a higher percentage of non-branded search phrases uh, that don't include your brand name because that's when people are earlier in the buyer journey and they have a pain point or a solution that they're looking for. And they're in the research and discovery phase. So the search phrases that they use really are around their problem or around their opportunity. We want to show up for those because we want to be visible early on. So, you know, having a nice balance between branded and non-branded traffic is probably the sweet spot for most companies. So one piece of data I've seen, I know you've seen this too, is that pre-pandemic, the buyers, B2B buyers, were 70% through their discovery process or thought process or buying process, whatever you want to call it, before they develop their short list of, say, three or four vendors that they then go reach out to. And now, not post-pandemic, but right now, it's up to 90%. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So the way that trend is going, what does that say about branded or not branded? Which that is that ratio changed at all or? or not? Yeah, no, I mean I think again it's critical that you, the non the non-branded metric of the two is the one that we pay the most attention to because you can't cherry pick. You can't come in late have somebody do a bunch of research, start to identify a short list of companies, and then you try and, for example, get into a long tail search term like XYZ product in Columbus, Ohio. You know, you try to come in late for those kinds of, you know, very specific searches and it's just, you're just not as relevant. So if the shift is really now to understanding what are the pain point searches or what are the opportunity or the benefit solution searches that people are doing and are we being found for that? Because it's it's just hard to come in late in the game. So I think it's even more critical that the non-branded content, and we'll talk about website here in a second, the third pillar, but, you know, ask yourself, what kind of content do I have? on my website because that's what Google is pointing people to. And if all your content is about you uh, and not about the problem that people have, well, of course, you're only going to show up for branded searches versus non-branded because there's just not a lot of other, there's not a lot of pain point or benefit type content of that's of value to somebody earlier in that buyer journey if it's not on your website at all. Right. All right. In the interest of time, let's move on to the third pillar of social media. I know you've talked about it already. Is there anything more we need to know about social media? You know, social media is one of those ones where it's still, it's a bit more of a manual process. You know, what we do typically is we're going into each of the native platforms. You know, we're not using an aggregator tool to go ahead and pull out, you know, how many people are following this company? How many likes? How much content are they producing? Is the content video or audio? That kind of stuff really is a journey we encourage people to look at your social media presence, what what channels, what platforms, how many, how much, how often, uh, and then do that side-by-side comparison with your competitors. But that's much more of a qualitative exercise and, and less tool-driven. There are some tools out there like Sprout Social, which will go in and give you some competitive intelligence and inferences around the other players. But right now, you know, for the most part, I think it's you just go in and you take a look and you jot them down. All right. So let's move on to the fourth pillar. And that is once they get to your website, are you relevant to them? Do you have yeah. what they do you have what they need? How would it take? Exactly. Well, a good tool, a fast and easy and free tool for this is HubSpot Grader. So HubSpot is a marketing automation platform, but they have a tool that allows you to basically plug in your website and a competitor's website, and it will give you a score from zero to 100 that is based on four elements, your performance, your speed, basically how fast your pages load and, and all of that. That's a critical metric for Google these days. It's even more important now than it was in the past. So that's your first 30 points. Then you're going to get evaluated up to 30 points for SEO. So this is things like, do you have meta description tags and and, and other kind of more technical indicators to indicate that Google understands what's going on in your website? The third is also a 30 point, zero to 30, and that's how mobile friendly you are. Is it responsive design? Does it look good on smaller devices? Are the font sizes appropriate and easy on the eyes? And then the last one is security. So how secure is your website? And it's more than just just having HTTPS as part of your URL string. There are some other things a bit more technical, a little bit more wonky, things called secure JavaScript libraries, but it'll evaluate whether or not those are protected as well. So, you know, one of the things that we do very quickly is we look at performance, SEO, mobile, and security through a free tool like HubSpot Grader. We plug in our company or our client's company, and then we plug in their competitors. And that gives us a really very good, fast, initial place to look for some performance improvements relative to the website. 
I know for myself, our attention spans have gotten short. If a website doesn't load pretty quickly, you're, you move on. Yeah, that's right. There's some hard data out there. And it's, I, I'll tell you, it's about three seconds on a mobile device for one. Wow. So if you're and, and, and more than half of all internet traffic is on mobile. So you pay a big penalty if you have pages that have really big images and load slowly and, and all these other sort of things. Speed is critical. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's go on to the fifth pillar, John. Now that we're relevant on our website, now how do we follow up? Yeah. So this is where, again, what other tools are available to you now that you have a person who maybe found you on search, they liked what they saw on your website, they filled out a form, they became a lead. So here we're looking at what we call the marketing tool stack. And this is going to be things like what kind of email platform do they use? Or are they even better? Are they using a marketing automation platform? What kind of social media optimization tracking codes are being employed to optimize the experience cross-channel between the website and some of these key channels? What content management system are they using in order to drive their website? How aggressively are they collecting audience measurement data? What kind of video are they using? Are there chat tools there? Anyway, there's a, a great tool called Built With, B-U-I-L-T-W-I-T-H. There is a free version of it, but there is a, for a nominal cost, you can get, again, move up one level in their platform costs. And really, you can plug in your website and you can plug in any competitor's website, and it will basically tell you pretty much everything that they're finding on that website, right? So they could tell you, for example, you know, hey, you're using Pardot as your marketing automation tool. You're using Salesforce as your CRM. You obviously are doing stuff on Facebook and LinkedIn because we see tracking pixels and insight code that, that are going on there. We see that whether you're doing remarketing through Google, we see whether or not you have payment mechanisms on your site, whether they're using Zoom meetings. Now, we know what kind of tools we use on our site. So the real benefit here is that you can basically look at all your competitors and you can see what are they investing in and what are you not investing in? How are they trying to separate themselves because they've got better, smarter, faster, scalable technologies to pursue people once they become known to the company and to give them what they want when they want it versus somebody who's underinvested in these tools and is exposed to being outcompeted even though you were found and even though you got onto their mailing list and everything else, this is really sort of a prime way in, in which you can kind of suss out where you fall relative to your competitors and where you might need to invest some more technology into your business model in order to lower the cost of customer acquisition and to increase the demand for your products because you've got scalable communications tools. So since this is really your business, I can't even imagine how many tools you have in your tool stack. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot and, uh, and it grows all the time. And it is fascinating. But again, these tools, are they, they're empowering. The right tool in the right hands can be a very, very effective means of communication. And again, and John, I'm going to let you maybe quote the specific numbers, but you know, how many buyers want to talk to a salesperson anymore? That's, it's a number that's shrinking. I know you know the number and I hope you share it here in just a moment. But these tools, when used well, give the buyer the information they want the way that they want it, because they may not want to be on a phone call with a salesperson or they only want to do it at the right time. And you know, so how do we lay out that journey? So here's one piece of data, it's interesting, comes from McKinsey, LinkedIn, and several others all have the same data. And that is right now, 60% of the buyers are millennials, meaning early 40s or, or younger. And 50% of them do not want to talk to a salesperson in the future by any means, phone, 
text, the video chat. They don't want to talk to a sales person by any means ever, like never. Right. Right. So it's shocking, wow. really, when you hear that data. It is. And this marketing tool stack is the path to make that happen for a very large and growing uh, and increasingly impactful demographic. Absolutely. Well, John, this has been uh, terrific again. So you're two for two. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. What's one or two or three things you could leave for our listeners? And of course, uh, let, let them know how to get a hold of you if they would like to have a company help them assess themselves and of course against their competition so they sure. can see a roadmap, you know, to competitive uh, dominance. Well, let's start with free. So, you know, the Moz Pro tool that you can have on your browser, I think is a good place to start. I think SEM Rush or equivalent, so Raven Tools, Moz Pro, uh, the paid versions of those I think are going to be really, really worth investing in. Built with that marketing tool stack that we just talked about, again, very right, affordable right. and really great information that comes out of that. And, you know, the, there's some other ones that are out there too. I mean, if you were interested in what the revenue numbers were for competitors, there are some, you know, there's obviously Dun & Bradstreet and there are some really, you know, there are paid services. But a lot of that data now, if you just do a search for, put in the competitor's name and then put in revenues, Zoom Info and some others, you know, they're exposing more and more of that information. So you might be surprised about what you can learn, even just in terms of firmographic information, like like revenues, number of employees and things like that. Now, again, some of these are estimates, but, but again, it, they're there, they're available, they're good sort of, you know, level of magnitude kind of numbers to start with. And so that's another one to think about there as well. I've, I've heard I've heard Zoom Info is a pretty good tool. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and in terms of getting a hold of us, my name, John Edwards, you can reach me uh, via email, jedwards at think communique.com. That's C-O-M-M-U-N-I-C-A. And the website is thinkcommunique.com and would uh, welcome the opportunity to talk with anyone who has more questions. So you guys over communicate actually think. <laughs> <laughs> we try. We do. That's we, good news. We enjoy that part of that. We enjoy that part of the job. <laughs> no, sure. I know you do. You guys are brilliant. At it. Thanks so much, John. All right. Thank you, John. And thanks, Dave. And thank you both. That's all the time we have for today. For our listeners, be sure to subscribe to Asher Strategies Radio on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast venue. You can also ask Alexa or Siri to play Asher Strategies Radio. From now until we meet again, John Asher reminds us to please, please get out there and sell something. Mm -hmm.